Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on our new home, CagesidePress.com. And let me tell you something, we got a great show lined up for you guys today. First, I'll be talking to Jacob Kilburn as he gets ready for his sophomore effort in the UFC out on Fight Island against Austin Lingo. We talk about everything from his actual debut to the fact that he doesn't feel like it was his debut and the fact that he's now working at American Top Team with Mike Brown. So it's a pretty exciting conversation. You're going to want to make sure to tune in for that. After that, I will be joined by Shockwave Dave as we will break down one of our favorite combat countdowns that we repeat year after year. And that's our top five fighters who we think could go from unranked to a title shot in one year. That's right, one calendar year. And let me tell you something, four out of the last five years it's happened, so it's not ridiculous to think that it could again. So we're going to get to that list. And then, of course, I've got another interview for you guys. I'll be talking with Carlos Felipe as he gets ready for his bout against Justin Taffa on Fight Island. And he talks about that and a perspective bout with Andre Arlovsky down the line and why he thinks it's all but inevitable. And, of course, we're going to get to all of that great content. But before I do, i got to let you know that this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Jock Market. Look, we've all played daily fantasy sports and saw one of the guys that we picked put up a dud of a first half. You almost wish you could sell them off and start fresh in the second half. Well, now you can with Jock Market. Jock Market is the only daily fantasy sports app that allows you to buy and sell players as stock commodities while the games are going on. You start by bidding on the IPOs of players, and Jock Market issues shares to the highest bidders. From there, you can buy and sell with other users as the prices of your players rise and fall with their performance. At the end of the night, Jock Market pays out based on their final performance and the number of shares that you still have. Jock Market is live right now for NBA, NFL playoffs, and of course, PGA. So head on over to the App Store or the Play Store and download Jock Market right now. And of course, when you sign up, make sure to use promo code TURTLE10 for a free $10 on your first deposit of up to $20 or more. Once again, that's TURTLE10 for a free $10. Jock Market brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready. For Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. And joining me now is Jacob Kilburn, who fights Austin Lingo at UFC Fight Island on January 16th. So, Jacob, I wanted to start by talking about the fact that, that we really haven't seen you in all that long. You made your UFC debut all the way back in December of 2019. So by the time you're in there, it's almost been a year out of the cage. What's that year been like, and what's kept you away for so long? Yeah, it'll actually be you know, it'll be a little over a year by the time we step in there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Um, it's just kind of the way things panned out. Um we had fights in the summer that fell through. We had fights in the fall that fell through. Um, you know, Nate Landwehr, Sean Woodson, some opponents you might recognize. And, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, it just nothing, nothing panned out. People, people got hurt. They, they, they couldn't sign the contract. Uh, you know, things, locations got switched around and whatever. And, um, you know, it, it <laughs> we were, definitely weren't supposed to wait this long. And, um, you know, we're shooting for Las Vegas, but, 
it ended up being, you know, for whatever reason, uh, this long, and, and now we're going to, to Abu Dhabi. So, um, you know, just gave me more time to train uh, down here at American Top Team and keep, uh, you know, improving and getting better. And, you know, I'm excited because uh, last time, you know, I, I took it on nine days' notice, and I, you know, really wasn't in the gym or, or anything. So um, I'm, I'm thankful to have had this much time to prepare and, you know, this time there'll be no excuses, um, you know, and we can start reminding everybody who I am. And, uh, you know, I, I'm looking at this more as my UFC debut, and the last one was just kind of a, a paycheck, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And you mentioned you're working at American Top Team. Is that a permanent move? Are you working down there all the time? How, how long have you been there? <laughs> yeah, so we fought in December, you know, like the first week of December. Uh, Tiago Elvis fought in that car, and Mike Brown was backstage. I walked up to him uh, and I said, "Hey, coach, I'd, I'd like to come get to work with you guys." And he was like, "Yeah, man, just uh, you know, just just whenever, you know." So you know, he had kind of told me there's like a tryout period, you know, to see if you know you can make the pro team or whatever. I uh, so we exchanged numbers. He said that was the first week of December um, on New Year's Day. Me and my wife drove down to Florida, uh, did a three-day trip, did some sparring and grappling, and you know, took took the pro classes. And uh, he called me, you know, on, on my way back to Tennessee and said everything was good. Uh, I, I was in. And um, so two weeks later, we went back down there. We, we moved full time. And uh, so yeah, I've, I've been here for a year. Um, and, uh, you know, this is home now. This is where my training camp runs out of. And uh, we've got to go home a couple times and visit. But, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Floridian now. And, and this, is, uh, this is where my training camp is, is running out of. So. That, that's really cool, and I wonder, is that weird for you? Because I know, you know, you, you're kind of like a staple on the, the Tennessee local scene, or at least you were until you started making, you know, Island fights and Contender Series and those bigger bigger fights. But, you know, you fought Valor fight. You fought that M1 Global trial in, in Tennessee. You, you fought all over right. Tennessee. Is it weird to be out of somewhere else now? You know, uh, it, it, it is strange, um, but I'm still – widely considered, you know, number one or number two in Tennessee and Kentucky and even in, you know, in Florida, just, you know, I was living in Tennessee fighting in, you know, Pensacola area and then in Georgia and some other places. So I, I, I came here as like the number one ranked featherweight at the time. Um, so, uh, you know, I was just some guy from a small town in Tennessee, but everybody at ATT already knew who I was just based off the rankings and so all the guys that were fighting on Titan and the regional shows and stuff like that, they, you know, and, and of course I'm, you know, I'm training with people that I had fought last year and, and stuff, you know, here. So, um, I guess it's a little weird in that regard, but, uh, you know, I still think of myself as a, a Tennessee guy. It's just, um, you know, that's where I lived my whole life. So, um, and just expanding my horizon and stuff, you know, I think it's, it's neat to be, kind of out of that regional rankings and uh you know i look forward to, to the day that they remove me from you know topology and some of those websites uh because you know i'm, I'm on the the world ranking scale uh I'm not on the regional scene anymore you know so um I, it's cool to me absolutely and and now i want to talk one one more quick question about being a tennessee guy you fought local your whole career you talked about you know you fought in the pensacola area you fought in georgia a little bit here and there you got the Vegas fight for contender series, but now you're going to Abu Dhabi. This is halfway across the world. Describe, right. describe the feeling of knowing that that's about to happen. 
You know, uh, it's weird because this fight was supposed to take place in Las Vegas. Um, you know, that that's that's what I had pushed for. I, I uh, you know, I turned down you know all the Dobby fights before because that's just you know they get you out there ten days early. They keep you a week after your fight. You know, all the testing and the quarantining and the you know. Um, and, but Vegas, you've got access to the Performance Institute. You know, it's a three, four day trip, and now it's just you know would have been much better. So, it's uh, it's uh, it'll be cool to see it and uh, you know to take the pictures and to say I went there. I know it's definitely historic, um, and uh, you know it could be the beginning of you know a, a bunch of more cool stuff to come. But but it was something that I was trying to avoid just because I did want to fight in the states. I, I wanted to to be there in Las Vegas so I could fly my wife out right afterwards and we could spend a couple of days and whatever. But uh, you know I'm I'm excited for the the experience and the challenge of, you know, cutting weight out there and finishing fight camp out there. And, uh, so I'm just taking it all as it comes. This is all, you know, once in a lifetime, I'm excited to, to, to be doing this and be a part of it all. So, um, you know, I'm sure it'll be interesting. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned too in there, you know, obviously you've got a brand new team. So you're also doing all, all of this for the first time with, with a brand new set of people, do you have, like, your, your corner picked out and who's going with you there? Do you have Mike Brown on your side? Like, what's the situation? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it was going to look uh, considerably different for Las Vegas because that was just going to be, a, like I said, like a three- or four-day trip. This one's two and a half weeks. So you've got some of the coaches here that I work with, Steve Bruno, Steve Marco, um, and, and they just – I don't think they'd be able to get away for, you know, two and a half weeks. That would be – five, six, seven pro classes that they would miss and, and that would that would take a hit on the rest of the team. But there are guys like well Mike Brown, he we've got um, you know, Amari Alcamadov, uh Santiago, Pontinibio, um, Mike Davis, Dustin's fighting a couple of weeks. We got a bunch of guys that are already gonna be out there on the cards with Pedro Munoz and, and so Mike Brown is gonna be out there with me. Um I got a um, a guy from back home, Lance Boyd, coming, and then my, one of my training partners uh, from American Top Team, Jason Seffler, he's going to come and, you know, be my drilling partner and stuff. So, yeah, I'll, I'll have, uh, you know, for this, this fight, kind of like a transition fight, I'll have corners represented uh, from American Top Team and from back home. So uh, it'll be good. I'll be comfortable, and uh, it'll be nice. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Now, I want to talk about the fight coming up because you're fighting Austin Lingo. He, he's a guy who also, he's on a similar path to you right now. Like, he, he had his UFC debut. You know, it, it didn't go the way that he planned. Uh, you know, and then he had a huge layoff, too. Did you know about the name Austin Lingo before they offered him to you? And, and if so, did you have any impressions? No, uh, I, I I didn't. I, I, really, um, <clears throat> I really thought we were going to get the Sean Woodson fight. Um, I got a, a phone call. As I was leaving sparring, I don't know, you know, six weeks ago or whatever, and they said, "Hey, uh, you're fighting in Las Vegas January 16th against Austin Lingo." And of course, you know, at the time it was still Vegas, and I was like, "Okay, cool." Uh, and I, I didn't ask anything about him, and they were like, "What well, do you want to know about him?" And I'm like, "Well, let me guess. He's a Division One national wrestler. You know, he's a black belt <laughs> jujitsu. Um, you know, he's he won the he won the Abu Dhabi trials. What? Let me." Guess. And they were like, "No, he's a." Uh, He's more of a striker, you know, he, he played some baseball, you know, just kind of an athletic guy that transitioned in MMA, and they, uh, you know, I was like, oh, well, cool, that that sounds great. Uh, and, yeah, of course, then I watched his debut with Yusuf Zola. I think Austin actually took that on short notice, too, so 
um, you know, I, I look at this as kind of both of our uh, coming out parties. We'll, we'll, you know, both be a little more prepared in shape. And, uh, you know, certainly me. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do it any worse than, than, than I did last time. So I, I'm just excited to to have a training camp. Um, but, but yeah, I didn't know who Austin was, but, but now I'm familiar with him. I think he's a great guy. Um, and he'll be a good competitor and, and stylistically, this is, uh, it's got five the night written all over it. So, yeah, well, we're certainly looking forward to it. Now, before I let you go, I do like to ask all fighters, although some don't always love to answer. Can you give me a prediction? How do you see this one ending on January 16th? Uh, well, you know, I, there's a couple different ways this can go down, but I, um, it always shocks people when I say this, but, um, I feel like Austin is going to come out and try to, you know, like put throw heavy leather and stuff and, and, and kind of realize off the bat, like, um, he's outmatched and he'll probably try to take me down, um, which is going to initiate some kind of a scramble. And, and, uh, I think I'll end up submitting him. Um, I've been doing a whole lot of jujitsu work here. Um, and just, the the level of training partners here and the amount of uh, groundwork we do. And I was already a, a polished uh, striker when I came here. So I, I would imagine Austin gets tagged with something or he gets tired. Um, he doesn't like uh, how uncomfortable he feels and he tries to take me down and ends up putting himself in a submission. Uh, now, whether that's first round, second round, third round, I don't know, but that's, I just, for whatever reason, I see that playing out over and over again. Um, so if it happens to, you know, it's a decision or it's a knockout or it's a stoppage or whatever, I'll, I'll take anything. But uh, if I had to, like, guess, I, I feel like that's what's going to happen. He's going to try to take me down and, and, and end up in, uh, you know, some position he's not he's not ready to get out of. And, um, you know, it'll probably be from exhaustion. But uh, we'll just see, I guess. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Jacob Kilburn, and he is fighting Austin Lingo on Fight Island on January 16th. Jacob, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And that interview with Jacob Kilburn is brought to you by Covert Cap. Are you sick of having to decide between the rash guard that looks like a Jacuzzi back tattoo and one of those octopus tentacles up and down the arms? Maybe you're like me and you don't like showing up to grappling tournaments with a giant unicorn majestically flying over your gut. If you are like me, then you should check out Covert Cat. Covert Cat brings you minimalist no-gi wear for both BJJ and MMA. Their graphics are sharp, clean, and not filled with a bunch of frills. I suggest checking out their whole line on their Instagram, at Covert Cat, or on their website, thecovertcat.com. They're designed in Australia with a low fixed rate shipping worldwide, so it doesn't matter where you live. You're going to want to get some Covert Cat. Now, I, of course, am Daniel Gumby of Greenland, and I am now joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we talked about the fights that we wanted to see two weeks ago, but one of the things we didn't mention was Jan Blankovic and Israel Adesanya, which is now apparently booked for the light heavyweight championship. What are your thoughts on that matchup? Well, Gumby, I'm so glad you asked me about this because I have raised my mad levels to threat level midnight, blaring red. I'm angry, Gumby. I'm angry. First of all, let's start here. No one was pining for Izzy versus Jan Blankovic. We're getting this fight because Izzy doesn't have anyone, no money fights, quote unquote, 
in the 185-pound division. They just cut Yoel Romero, who was a top-five guy. They're trying to let that sort itself out. So they're bringing him up to 205, pulling a little bit of a Conor McGregor on him. We all get that Izzy is really the prize star right now. You don't know how many more fights John Jones has on his contract. Izzy is up and coming. He's great. We all love Izzy. No offense to Izzy, but he's defended his title how many times? Twice? And one was against Yoel Romero in a very boring fight. And now you have a situation where you have a fan favorite amongst the hardcores in Glover Teixeira who lost a title fight in 2014 to John Jones. And over the course of the last six years, in his mid-30s, mind you, as he approaches the tender age of 40, if he's not there already, and I think he is, he has worked his, himself back into a title shot. He's earned it. Fans are excited about it. They're excited about it, Gumby. People wanted to see Glover Teixeira fight Jan Blankovic, and I get that that won't do as much money as Izzy. I get that, okay? I'm not a babe in the woods. I'm not a Bambi when it comes to the fight business. I get that Izzy will bring the fat envelopes to Dana White. But I think what you do is you muddy the waters. You dirty what it means to earn a title shot in the UFC. This is how we got CM Punk versus Mike Jackson on a pay-per-view. <laughs> if it's going to be a sport and someone goes out and clearly earns a title shot in their division only to be leapfrogged and jumped by a champion at a lower division because they're a bigger name. And first of all, let's just say this. Whatever Izzy's going to bring in over the top of Glover, you're still fucking up because you could have Izzy fight someone and he's still going to sell his fight based on his name at 185, pull out a contender I don't care, or have Izzy come up to 205 much like Anderson Silva did when he cooked Forrest Griffin while the 185 champion, that wasn't for a 205-pound title shot. That was just him versus Forrest Griffin at 205. He used to do that. He did it against Stefan Bonner. It was entertaining. We liked it. We'd like it against Izzy. But why you have to screw Glover Teixeira out of a title shot and potentially really gum up the works, because if Izzy wins, then you know they're going to want to do a super fight of John Jones at 205 versus Izzy. You've scumbag Glover Teixeira out of a title shot. We watch MMA for great stories like Glover Teixeira. Glover Teixeira has the respect of every hardcore MMA fan, and we will not forget what they have done here. I think they've done a great disservice to Glover Teixeira, and we'll all get past that if he ends up with the title shot, because if Jan Blankovic wins, then it's clearly his title shot this summer. But you never know in the COVID era what could happen, injuries, what have you, and it really demeans what it means to earn a title shot. I've said enough. What do you think? So I'm maybe not as fired up as you are about that. I will say uh, I, I think the point you hit best is that Israel Idesanya versus anybody sells an ass load of pay-per-views. Him fighting Jan Blankovic for the 205-pound title sells probably the same amount of pay-per-views as him versus Marvin Vittori defending his belt, especially when you consider that was a split decision. So I think 100% this is not for the extra bump in pay-per-view revenue because I don't think that this does any extra than any other Izzy fight you have. Um, and, and even, you're right, he, he could definitely fight a 205-er who isn't the champ. That's sort of not the way things go now. I would also remind you that you missed the Anderson Silva fight against James Irvin, who, which happened as well. Um, but yeah, but like, he could fight anybody and it would work. I think 100% this is a play to try to get John Jones. Um, John Jones right now keeps saying, Yo, no, 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 I'm focused on fighting at heavyweight. 
That's true until he goes out and wins that title. I think that this is only that play, and you're right. As a divisional purist, which I've, you know, sort of crowned myself as time and time again, I hate seeing that. I hate seeing divisions tied up. I'm I'm curious of what this does to the middleweight division because like if he wins is he going to try to defend that probably not there's so many more exciting contenders at 205 then are we talking about another interim title in the middleweight division because we've had one of those before um yeah I I don't like it I would have liked to seen like you said there's no reason he couldn't be fighting Marvin Vittori or you know somebody like that on the same card as Jan Blankovic versus Glover. And then if they win, they both win. You've got a nice storyline and two guys who are on the exact same trajectory. Um, but yeah, ultimately th- this kind of sucks. Um, I- I'll ask you this though, because you are obviously very, very firm on wanting the Glover to share a title shot. Do you think if Izzy wins, there's any chance he's just the 205 champ for a bit and he defends against Glover to share I actually think, as crazy as this is, but we live in crazy times, and the UFC, and they know what they're doing when it comes to marketing a star and what have you. I actually think if he wins, he's going to go up and fight for the heavyweight title. Ooh, yeah. That, ooh, man. And, and actually, uh, you know, I was I was looking at some future odds, which you can find on MMA-manifesto.com for, uh, for who they think will be champion at the end of the year. And they posted that, uh, that there is... Odds on Israel Adesanya being the heavyweight champion at the end of 2021. I forget what sportsbook listed it, but he's like 20 to 1. But you can get odds on it. So, like, clearly you're not the only one thinking that, too. Yeah, I I think they have their eyes set on him being a triple champ. But we'll see how it plays out. I tell you what I'm really excited about, uh, seeing how it plays out. It's our new edition of Combat Countdown. We're talking about unranked fighters right now in January 2021 who could end up with a title shot by the end of the year. We did this several years ago, predicted Vulcan Ozdemir. We're very good at what we do, so you're going to want to listen to this and then call your bookie because we're going to do a little prognosticating here, look into our crystal balls and tell people who is unranked now that might end up with a title shot by the end of the year. Coming from out of nowhere, a dark horse, if you will, Gumby, before we get to this Combat Countdown. One may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Combat Countdown. Absolutely. The Combat Countdown is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jiu-jitsu, it does not matter because you can log your training sessions and meet your goals using Maroon Social. Make sure you download them wherever it is you download apps. And when you do, be sure to use promo code TOPTURTLEMMA. You're going to get a free download of their premium ad-free version. So make sure to check that out. Once again, that's Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right, so uh, Combat Countdown, it's our favorite segment on the show. Well, tied for our favorite segment on the show with fights, dogs, and parlays. We, of course, didn't have any fights to break down this week, so we're doing this Combat Countdown, and I love these styles of Combat Countdowns where we get to talk about guys who are maybe off the uh, mainstream fans' radar. I do want to mention, though, with that being said, we disqualified Michael Chandler and Manel Cape uh, just because, you know what, they were fill-ins for title fights in 2020, and it'd be pretty easy to say, yeah, Michael Chandler, 
unranked, is about to, you know, maybe have a chance of fighting for a title in 2021. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. I mean, he was a champion in Bellator. He's a relatively big name from outside the UFC. That is not in the spirit of what this list is about. We're trying to bring you people outside the top 15 in the UFC currently with fights on their record that can come out of nowhere and get a title shot. So, Gumby, before we get to number five, is there anything else you want to talk about when it comes to uh, either honorable mentions or how we went about this list. Sure. So first of all, I would mention that this this list seems like a bizarre thing to talk about because you're like, there'll be no unranked fighters who get title shots. 2020 was actually the first time in four years it hadn't happened. Uh, Volkan Ozdemir did it in 2017. Anthony Smith did it in 2018. And Wei Zhang did it in 2019 and won the belt. Uh, and if you go back farther than that, I'm pretty sure there was another one in there that I might be missing. Oh, yeah, Cody Garbrandt did it in 2016. So there's actually been four out of the last five years that this has happened. Um, so it's important to think about that because people, hey, come out of nowhere. Um, as for honorable mentions, yeah, I got two that I wanted to mention here and reasons why I left them out. The first one is Shavkat Rachmanov at the 170-pound division. He, he showed up into the UFC in a big way by choking out uh, Alex Oliveira. He looked damn good doing it. I actually think he's a brighter prospect at 170 than Kamzat Shemaev is. Uh, and I know that that's a hot take and that'll burn people. But at the same time, he just doesn't have that hype train behind him. And it's one of the thicker divisions in the UFC. So I left him in the honorable mentions. I also really like Carlos Olberg off of Contender Series. Um, he, he trains with Israel Adesanya, the aforementioned. He, he's clearly got a personality and a look that people enjoy. Um, but in addition to that, we're also talking about a guy with three pro fights and no UFC fights. So while he might have that hype train behind him, they are probably going to bring him up a little slower with only three professional MMA fights in his life. So I put those two on honorable mentions. I'm glad you mentioned that we left off Michael Chandler and Manel Cap. Why don't you get us kicking with number five? Let's get it kicking. I'm so excited to do this. Uh, we'll start the clock now and get this done in a relatively quick amount of time, almost like a round of the UFC. Uh, so let's get with number five, Miranda Maverick. She's a 125-pound women's flyweight, one and zero in the UFC, unranked right now. But how could she get a title shot by the end of the year and why? So first of all, the women's flyweight division is getting better all the time. They've certainly got a little bit of a backlog of contenders with Lauren Murphy kind of chomping at the bit and Jessica Andrade. But Miranda Maverick is somebody who was absolutely impressive in uh, in Invicta. And in addition to that, being 23 years old and getting a stoppage win in her debut over Leanna Jojua back in October, uh, she just seems like the type of person where if she put together a couple of really fun wins, she'd be really tough uh, to deny that title shot. And in addition to that, She's a wrestler, which we've, we've known time and time again. If she got a late-notice replacement fight against some of the women in the top part of this division, she might surprise somebody like, you know, Roxanne Matafari, or she might surprise somebody like, you know, I don't know necessarily that she'd beat Lauren Murphy, but she's got good enough wrestling where she could steal rounds, and suddenly we're talking about her getting a late-notice uh, late decision victory over somebody at the top of the division. So I think she's definitely got the potential to do that. With it not being the biggest division in the UFC, I think there's even more possibility. I think you're very right. When it comes to 125 women's, too, I think I could see a lot of movement this year amongst the top 15. So that's a great call. We'll move then to number four, and it's coming from heavyweight division, 265 pounds and under, and it's Juan Espino. He's 2-0 and in the UFC. 
Yeah, 2-0 in the UFC, he's a tough winner. I know he's not coming completely out of nowhere here, but the dude did take a huge layoff, right? And at 40 years old. And picking somebody who's 40 years old, who's just coming off a two-year layoff, seems insane. Until you looked at how good he looked at both of those two fights and the fact that heavyweight, not always the, the heaviest or the best division anyway. If you calculate out how many takedowns this guy gets per 15-minute fight, it's 14 and a half. That's right. He gets 14 and a half takedowns per 15 minutes. He's got two first-round submissions on his record, which you don't see a lot of in the UFC. Uh, I think he's really fun to watch and super talented. He obviously would have to be way more active. But if he was, I think I'd probably put him even higher on this list. Totally fair. Uh, let's go then to number three, and it's going to be Dustin Jacoby. Uh, holler at your boy, the light heavyweight 205, 1-0 since returning to the UFC last seen in 2012. Yeah, so this guy had eight years away from the UFC, and, and that is, first of all, an insane sentence, right? He was away from the UFC for eight years, and not only was he that, he was also away from MMA period for four and a half years. After having a bad run in Bellator after the UFC released him, he came back, actually fought a uh, UFC veteran, Cody East, at heavyweight in 2019. Since then, he's rattled off three straight wins, including a first-round stoppage of Justin Ledette. We just talked about the fact that there might be some kind of gap left at 205, you know, depending on if Izzy wins, if he leaves, if he vacates that title, whatever he does. 205 might need to bring somebody up to the top. And right now they're loving guys like Izzy who are come from a kickboxing background. That's exactly what Dustin Jacoby is. So with that fact and the fact that he went out there, absolutely put it on Justin Ledette, I, I think he's got a lot of potential to make a big run like that. And, and being that he's got knockout power too, I think obviously that helps. Getting close to the top of the list, number two is Kaneko Murata, the woman's strawweight at 115. She's 1-0 in the UFC and coming to us from Invicta, where she wore gold. Yeah, and so Kaneko Murata is such a fun prospect for me. She is pretty much everything I uh, had been hoping to see from Tatiana Suarez. Um, Tatiana Suarez, I, I still have hope out there that she winds up with a title shot sometime in the near future. Uh, but she's inactive. I, I know she's probably got some stuff going on that we don't know behind the scenes. But Murata is going to kind of take over that as being the big dominant wrestler at 115, which I think that division needs because there's a couple of really talented strikers. But there's really not a big wrestler. And I, I think Murata showed that in that win over Random Marcos, she's that force. And she could win those types of fights like Tatiana Suarez did. She showed she could do it in Invicta. She's 27 years old, so like now's the time to start pushing her up the ranks. And winning over Randa Marcos in your debut, in your debut, is certainly a great way to jumpstart your career towards the top. Boom. It has come time for us to declare our number one prospect or person we believe can go from unranked to title shot this year in 2021. We, of course, encourage you to follow us on Twitter, at TopTurtleMMA, and also on IG, and let us know what you think of our list. If we got this right or if we got this wrong, we, of course, are accepting both love and hate feedback on all our social media. Number one with a bullet, it's Alexander Romanoff. The heavyweight is 2-0 in the UFC and looking pretty dominant. Yeah, not only is he looking pretty dominant, like I said before with Juan Espino, two submission victories. When are we seeing heavyweights with submission victories? Not to mention, 
if you haven't watched his first fight, the one against Roque Martinez, go back and watch him throw Roque Martinez up over his head in his debut. It was an absolute clinic. Then all he does is follow that up by fighting two months later in forearm choking out his opponent, Marcos Rogerio de Lima. He chokes him out with his forearm in out, like cold, cold. So this guy, 13-0, he's relatively young for a heavyweight. And in addition to that too, he's kind of got that thing behind him that maybe we don't talk about enough. And that's, he has a country behind him. And, And granted, it's a smaller country in Moldova, but like the fact that he would be the first real, you know, noted Moldovan fighter in the UFC to be running up the ranks. I'm sure it's not enough to cause a, a Conor McGregor blitz and he doesn't speak enough English for it to be a Conor McGregor blitz. But the dude is fun as hell to watch at heavyweight. And again, like we talked about with some of these other guys, having that wrestling base, and, and I, I feel like it doesn't get talked about enough, having that wrestling base at, at a division that doesn't have a lot of wrestlers like women's strawweight or heavyweight, Man, I think he could do a lot of damage really quick, kind of like we've seen people like Curtis Blades do, only this guy's out there subbing people and doing it spectacularly. Boom. Well, I think we did that combat countdown spectacularly. Of course, let us know what you think on our various social media. Gumby, let's move this train along, and why don't you tell us about the interview we're cutting to next? We're going to transition now to my interview with Carlos Felipe. As I previously mentioned, Carlos talks a little bit about his debut he talks a little bit about his first win in the ufc and we're going to get into some potential matchmaking as well so make sure to tune in right now and joining me now is carlos felipe who fights justin taffa on fight island on january 16th so carlos i wanted to start by talking about the fact that you got your first ufc win in your last fight you beat jorgen de castro what did it feel like to finally get that first UFC win? Man, it was amazing. You know, uh, in my debut, I, uh, I made a good fight, in my opinion. Uh, I made a good fight in my debut, but the victory didn't come. Uh, I did disagree with the decision. I think, uh, I think I won that fight, but uh, the feeling is that... Uh, Good work, yeah, that I made a good work, you know? Do you understand me? Absolutely. So so you meant you felt like you won your first fight, right? So you feel like you won your first fight. You did win your second fight. Heavyweight's not a really big division. There, There's a two or three fight winning streak. Gets you up against somebody who's kind of a big name. Do you have somebody in mind for that after a fight with Justin Tava? Should you win that fight? Yeah, yeah. I, I told this to... My manager, yeah, I told you yesterday about this uh, to my manager. I think he, uh, they will put me to face uh, Andre Alonso in uh, after win this uh, stuff. I don't, I, I, I don't know why, but I feel this. You know, it's just a feeling, just a feeling. Interesting. Now, I'm curious, would you like a fight with Andre Arlovsky? Is he an opponent that's interesting to you? Because I know, you know, you're a young guy for the heavyweight division. You're only 25. You pretty much were growing up while he was the champion. Do you look up to him as kind of like an an idol? Yeah, no, he is not my idol, but I respect him. Uh, He is a good fighter. He he is in the game uh, uh, for a long time. 
I must respect him, but I think he he is a good name for me to put in the in the higher of the division. You know, he is a good name, and uh, they see uh, every time the, there was a Brazilian fighter uh, with a two or three win streak, uh, they put with Andrelowski. So this is one of the reasons. I, I think they will put me with him. I mean, you're you're definitely right. Every time there is somebody on a couple fight win streak, he winds up being the name. Now, I'm curious too. You you are taking this upcoming fight only about two two and a half months after your last fight. Is that ideal for you? Would you like that turnaround fight maybe against somebody in Arlovsky? You know, every two months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when I fight the first time, I say that I'm the type of guy. Uh, that I'm always, I'm always ready. Uh, I say this, I, I say this to the matchmaker too, to Nicky Nicky. If you need somebody to replace another fashion, you can call me, I'm always ready. So, in my, so in, after this fight, uh, I would like to fight in the same, the same time, two months for the other fight. Okay. We'd certainly like to see it then too. So let's talk a little bit about Justin Taffa because he he's kind of resembles Jorgen De Castro. He even fought Jorgen De Castro. He's kind of a big, heavy guy, likes to box. How do you feel you match up with Justin Taffa? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in my opinion, he is a easier fight than Jorgen because Jorgen has some. Powerful hands, powerful kicks, very, very powerful kicks. <laughs> <laughs> and Justin Tafa, I don't see his boss, but uh, his boss is his boss is not so good too. He has good at boss, okay, but the thing that he he's good is not so good. Do you understand me? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious too. I I want to ask that question now about about Jorgen De Castro because you said he had really powerful kicks. Did you leave that fight hurting from Jorgen De Castro's kicks? Yeah, I trained a lot uh, defense. In the first time, uh, the, my fight with De Castro, uh, it was my first fight that I I kick in a in a fight. So now I will kick a lot. Now I'm a kicker. <laughs> Uh, all right, awesome. So I, I got another question for you. This one's a little bit off topic of the fight. You, I, I was looking back at your record, and I see you made your, your pro debut in 2014, over seven years ago at this point in time, which means that, that you were just 18 years old when you started fighting professionally. What what got you fighting MMA professionally at such a young age? Yeah, uh, since I was uh, about, I don't know exactly, but... I think it's 12 years old. No, 12, no. It's too early. Uh, about 15 years old, uh, I put that in my mind. I will be a UFC fighter. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, the type of a guy that say, oh, I need to be shaped. I need to be to get that belt. No, no. For me, it's more, I love, I love the fight. I, I'm fighting in the 
by two and two months from years, okay, I don't, uh, how can I say, I don't want so much that belt. I just want fight, do you know? Even when I, I start to train MMA, uh, I had a bunch of nine debuts that uh, was canceled because uh, sometimes the they guy got injured, sometimes I don't make the weight. So uh, there was a nine opportunities before I I get my debut. So when I got my debut in, uh, when I was 18 years old, it's, it's later than I expect because two years ago my debut was was my uh, book. Do you know? Do you understand what I say? Absolutely, yeah. So that that's very early in in your career. I, I love that you have such a passion for it. Now, I, I gotta return it to the the question of the fight before we we wrap it up here because that's what really the people are super excited about, and that's this fight with Justin Taffa. I was wondering if you could give us a prediction. How do you see this fight ending? Yeah, and I think we'll be a second round technical knockout. I think he will, I will press him a lot, a lot, a lot, and he will sometimes, sometimes in the second round, he will break, he will break, for sure. You can expect it. Well, we're looking forward to it. And once again, fans, this is Carlos Felipe, who fights Justin Taffa on Fight Island January 16th. Carlos, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate that too. Thanks for the opportunity that I explained a little about my life and my career. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without you guys. We also couldn't do what we do without our new home, the mothership, cagesidepress.com. Make sure to give them a few clicks. And speaking of clicks, make sure to give clicks to a couple of our sponsors, Maroon Social, Jock Market, and Covert Cat. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TopTurtleMMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Reeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we'll see you then.